Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Before this podcast gets started, I wanted to introduce a three-part series. I recently traveled to Baltimore, Maryland to catch up with the Holistic Life Foundation crew, Ali, Ottman, and Andy, who I interviewed last year at Naropa University when they came to the school to give a talk. Over that time, we became friends and began talking about what it would actually look like if I came to Baltimore and brought in the conversation with principals, teachers, kids, and volunteers of their programs. My conversations were so profound and enlightening. Here's what I found. In this series, this podcast is one of three, with me interviewing the guys of the Holistic Life Foundation. Enjoy. Hello. Today, I'd like to welcome a very special guest back to the podcast, the Holistic Life Foundation crew. We have Ottman, Ali, and Andy here with me. It's such a pleasure to be speaking with them again. I'm actually here on site in Baltimore with them in their conference office room and just doing the thing where we've established a friendship, a relationship, and now we're back here. And I'm on site with you guys, and I've had the pleasure of speaking with principals, teachers, volunteers, some of the kids in your programs and what you guys been doing over that time. And it just feels like unrealistic to me that we're here again. It's our one year anniversary, but ever since our last podcast, we've been keeping in touch and developed that relationship. So it's just such a pleasure to be speaking with you again. So thanks for joining me or thanks for having me, I guess. Like, yeah, welcome. Welcome to Be More. Yeah, it's our pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I guess today we're just going to talk about your program. What has shifted over the time? What's going on new for you guys? Anything exciting? So I guess we can just jump right into it. So it's been a little over a year since we've seen each other last. So tell me, is there anything new from your programs, any placements, any new schools that you're working with? Is there anything you'd like to share about the programs since then? One new development that's pretty awesome is that we are piloting our teaching tool. Okay. At BAM, B-A-M, BAM! And I remember that. <laughs> what that stands for is uh, Bridging Academics in the Mind. Okay. And it's a, a teaching tool where teachers have access to animations of Ali, Andy, and myself and audio content of us leading uh, different practices, whether it's breathing, a little slight movement, or meditation or loving kindness practices. And the thing that I guess the people who are studying our program uh, likes about it is that the practices only take maybe from like two to eight minutes just to kind of like refocus and center the classes. So we'll see how that pilot study goes this year. Uh, We have it in four schools and, you know, we look to, uh, you know, see what's working, what's not, make some adjustments and then expand next year. Yeah, yeah. When you say animation, is it actual video or is it an animation, like cartoon? It's cartoons of Ali, Andy, and myself. Yeah, I want to see all of your avatars. <laughs> all right. It's pretty neat to see uh, the three of us as cartoons. So. Or we're not cartoons, though. We're animations. The person that created it was pretty specific on that we were animations, not cartoons. Okay. All right. So something like that is it's like a digital file you give to a school, and then they can play it for their class or for 
just like an announcement or how do they do that? Yeah, well, there's an online platform. So on the okay. online platform, they access, they can access uh, the okay. audio files or the animations and the curriculum itself. And plus a little handout that we have that can help them. So basically it's everything is very, very accessible. The goal is to make it as easy as possible and yeah. as little a burden upon the teachers as possible so that they can really focus on delivering what they need to to fulfill their obligations as a teacher academic level. Okay. And going along with our like reciprocal teaching model, we have like three phases in the program where the first phase it's instructions, also how the practices benefit you on a physical level. Then uh, the second phase is just the actual practice. Then the okay. third phase the students come up to the front of the room and lead the practices with prompt cards. So, you know, we try to create teachers wherever we are. Okay. Yeah, one of the coolest things about the program is that it's not left unto the teachers to develop a mindfulness practice to be able to teach. Okay. Um, I think that's one of the struggles that we had is when we wanted to roll things out. Teachers are busy. They have a lot on their plate, mm -hmm. and they might not have the time or the desire to want to develop their own personal mindfulness practice. And you can't really teach mindfulness effectively if you don't have your own practice. That authenticity is key. Yeah. So... We decided that if they had these teaching tools, they could just you plug them in and we give them like a formula to use. So like if the class is about to take a standardized test, you use practices A, B, and C. If the class is, they need to transition from lunch to learning time, they use or certain practices. If two kids have just gotten into a fight, you use certain practices. Their class energy is low, you use certain. So it's like very situational, but they get combinations where they can just push play. And the practices are taught in a way that we teach them because it's us it's yeah. cartoons of us teaching and it's our audio. So, I mean, it, it'll work. And just making sure that they're using it properly and make sure fidelity's high and it's not just kind of being thrown out there, but it's being rolled out in a proper way. Yeah. I really like the fact that you can separate the idea of coming back from lunch and it's then transitioning into learning time or there's just a mindful moment before a test. There's these things that are different and they hold different weight. And so there are different practices to initiate different types of like mindsets. So that's really cool. The fact that you can like announce that it's not this one size fits all mindful practice, you know, and it also sounds like the teachers can access this video, this audio, and they can also practice it themselves. So while the students are doing it, they're like, I can either grade papers or I can sit with the kids and do this practice as well. And then they can all practice together as a class. Have you heard any feedback when classes and or schools participate together in a mindfulness practice? Have you seen acceleration of development? It's always better if we can get the whole school on the same page. Um, and if not the whole school, at least entire classrooms on the same page, including the teacher. Yeah. There's definitely situations where we would, I don't know, when we first started working in schools, we would work with the kids only. And then we would run in the situation all the time where we, the kids would be nice and calm, the teacher would come back in and just start yelling instantly, mm. and the kids are just totally thrown off again. Yeah. So then we had to start working with the teachers too, being able to deliver the, the skills and the tools, but just self-care. Like It's stressful being a teacher no matter what district mm. you're in, no matter where you're teaching, no matter what grade level you're teaching, it's stressful. So you got to be able to take care of yourself first. So it's always more effective when you're working with the teachers, the principal, and the kids like down in Patterson, you talk to Vance. I mean, like yeah. the energy's different when Vance is practicing at that school. Vance is a very powerful personality. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. like when we first started working at Patterson, we were working with the kids and the teachers. We weren't working with him. And then we made it mandatory for him, like just to get started, that at least like once a week he has to come down to the mindful moment room. He has to turn his walkie-talkie off, and he's just got to give yeah. us ten minutes to sit there and breathe and meditate. Yep. And like he took to it so much that he took to practice home, and he practices on his own. Mm. He practices with his son. 
Vance can get fired up, don't get me wrong, but I think he has a, more of an ability to know when he's drifting away from center and to pull himself back to center from time to time when he needs to. Yeah. Oh, another thing that we're working on. Yeah. We're working on a satellite program. We're looking to expand HLF's reach. And the way we're doing that is we're finding a few cities where we have some key program partners. There's a willingness to do some mindfulness in the schools, in the communities. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that we'll do it is we'll send two of our staff to a city for an entire year. They'll oh, go nice. there, find a program director or program coordinator from that city to kind of run things administratively. And then we'll also find some 18 to 24-year-olds from that city to train to be yoga and mindfulness instructors. They'll shadow our staff, and then Atman and Andy and I will come and do a, a very intense trainings throughout the year. And we'll slowly kind of take ourselves out of the situation mm-hmm. so that by the end of the year, the 18 to 24-year-olds that we've trained are capable of teaching mindfulness to any cross-section of the community. Yeah. Uh, our program coordinator there is running things administratively. And one of the coolest things about it is that things are set up. We train people, we've employed people, but the program's also generating income because the, the way that the business model's set up, program's paying for itself, but it's also generating income so that it's a very sustainable model. And when we're looking to set it up, uh, hopefully we'll do three cities in year one and then we'll look for more in year two. Okay. I love the fact that you guys emphasize training the people that are going to be working with the kids because, like you said before, it's super crucial that people know what they're doing. And when a teacher just walks back in a room after the kids had a mindful moment with an audio recording or a guided meditation, and the teacher just goes back to where they left off, it kind of jars you out of that mindset. You just get jostled back into that mind of reaction or just what's going on. You got to like land the plane a little bit. You know, you can't just jump right into it. But the fact that you train your people, that feels really nice to hear because you can just have someone walk in the room and be like, let's breathe, you know, but if someone can hold that space, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate that you make sure the people are trained well enough and that you're developing community. You're not just developing a mindfulness practice as well. So it's really nice to hear that. Other awesome part about that program is the 18 to 24 year olds, while our staff is down there facilitating programs mm-hmm. in the various demographics that they'll be facilitating programs with, our 18 to 24 year olds will be paired up with our senior staff that will be sitting there and they'll get on the job training. So yeah. they're not only trained with Ali, Andy, and myself to learn about, you know, how to deliver these practices, uh, the practicality of it, the Mm -hmm. benefits of the practices, but they'll also see it in action. So when we do, after that year, pull our people away, they'll have a lot of on-the-job training. Yeah. You know, we'll set the people up for success. Yeah, another one of the requirements for the 18 and 24-year-olds is to develop that personal daily practice. So part of their job description is going to be practicing with our senior staff Mm. every day. You know what I mean? Like they're going to get together, they're going to get deep into the practice so that it's, it's not something that they have to pretend or something that they have to pull from. It's like just instinctual that the practice is kind of exuding yeah. from them and they're embodying it. Interesting. All right. Since we last talked, do you feel like the mindfulness landscape has changed or has the message changed? It seems like there's this sort of mainstream push of mindfulness. And I'm curious, has that shifted your perception of mindfulness or your application of mindfulness it definitely seems like it's a lot more watered down and a lot more surface level and not the depth of the practice isn't there mm-hmm. i mean I, th- I think with anything that becomes popular and once it starts being on the cover of time magazine and people start to take notice and people start to take notice of the research people are like, well i want to do that tons of people that cross paths with us will do the the whole like hey i'm going to go to this weekend retreat or i'm going to go take a 
a quick MBSR certification course, and then I'm going to go out there and I'm going to teach mindfulness to everyone and without taking the time to develop themselves first. And it just makes the practice really, really watered down. And like, there's no authenticity there. And authenticity is definitely one of the keys to being a successful or an effective mindfulness teacher. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's definitely something that's going on right now. Yeah, I don't think it's really changed anything or any way that we've done our work. I mean, mm-hmm. all of us still have a steady practice daily, and, and we try to really push that upon our staff and the, and the people that, that are working together with us to reach our goals. I mean, I, I can definitely agree with what Ali's saying. Is you know, As you see it becoming more and more popular, people are just kind of jumping on the bandwagon. Even you know, It's cool because, hey, it's great to get these techniques out there. You know what I mean? You want more, as many people as possible to to start going inward and start going along this journey themselves individually. Mm -hmm. But you can see that lack of authenticity sometimes if you don't have your own personal practice. And I think it's so very important to come from that place of experience when you're trying to guide another individual in the practice so that they can see, I'm not just making this stuff up or I'm not just, you know, like, hey, try this. It may work. No, I've done this practice over and over and over again, and Mm -hmm. I know the benefits. And that's why I'm here giving you this technique because I know what it's done to me and how it's transformed my life. And I I think it could be a very, very beneficial tool to you, you know, and that Mm -hmm. only comes from practice. You can see that being that it's like becoming this like mindfulness now, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. all over the place. But I don't think it's really altered the way that we function, the way that we work together as a unit. I mean, we, we've always been practitioners. This is who we are. This is what we do. If we weren't doing this work, with HLF, then I I still think all of us would still have our practice and still be yeah. at heart yogis. And I know one thing that has adjusted is honestly because it is uh, becoming watered down. We wanted to hold the fidelity of our teachers and the brand of our Holistic Life Foundation up. So we've definitely stepped up our trainings to make sure that our staff are like the best trained people in all the world. You know what I mean? So. They, we're getting a lot of professional developments, professionals from all different fields coming in, okay. come help support our staff and, yeah. you know, get them up to a level that, you know, is acceptable to us and, you know, developing their personal practice. And, you know, so yeah. it's a journey for everyone. And, you know, we just want to help support our staff to make them the best teachers that they can be and more present in, in their lives and, you know, just positive citizens helping out Mother Earth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. All right. So here's kind of a fun question, like a little thought out one. Where do you see the idea and the practice of mindfulness in 10 years? And where do you see the HLF in 10 years? I mean, personally, uh, in 10 years, I see mindfulness implemented in every aspect of life, whether it's school, like yeah. a school will have like a mindful moment at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day and have alternative suspension rooms where mm-hmm. kids can de-escalate themselves. It would be cool if, you know, every business started their day off with a practice. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's definitely going to get there, but, you know, I can have high hopes and be optimistic. Yeah, it's not going to seem so foreign or weird definitely. if a huge corporation has a meditation room. Definitely. Yeah. I think it'll be in all facets of life. Bring, I guess, a little bit more empathy into society, which is needed. Yeah, I mean, just to echo what I'm saying, you know, yeah, I think it'll be in everything. So whether it's the education system and politics and the health system and education system i think everywhere i think there'll be some form or some facet of mindfulness Mm -hmm. and then i see us being an integral part of that you know i think Mm -hmm. see us being a resource and a support to those systems and and providing individuals uh whether there are trained students or we go in 
to other areas and we train new people in doing this or yeah. it's us helping with curricula and implementation of these practices and techniques. So, yeah. you know, we always been adamant of wanting to be involved in all those fields. You know, some of them we haven't been able to get our feet into as much like the military and stuff like that. But I mean, mm -hmm. ideally, I, I believe that mindfulness will be in every facet of society and HLF will be a huge yeah. part of that. And they're implementing mindful moments in the military. I've come across a couple of different things. Richard Miller helping mindfulness and I think Sharon does it too, mm -hmm. to help them with the stress and the PTSD that yeah. may come with the career path of the chosen and just mindfulness is this thing that can help you with almost any situation. It just gives you the idea of stepping forward in something and making the right decisions or dealing with some like heavy emotions. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to, to see it in corporations too. be able to use mindfulness. Like I'm going to go sit for 10 minutes, you know, mm -hmm. other than a cigarette break, you're going to go have like a meditation moment. It's amazing how it's not used more. You know, a lot of people I feel like in corporations in the business world are like, I, I don't have enough time to do that. I don't have enough time to do that. You know, and it's like, well, if you took the time to do it, then you wouldn't be in panic mode like, I don't have enough time to do it. Yeah. I don't have enough time to do it. Oh, okay. When the kids in the program are learning the meditation and the practices or they're doing guided meditation, what actual style of meditation are they doing? Is there like multiple different ways of how they meditate or is there like one meditation you like to use over and over again or you were saying a little early ago that they have multiple different versions of meditation or mm -hmm. how they show up when they have like different activities that they're doing mm -hmm. can you just go a little bit deeper into the practice as far as uh meditations pretty much loving kindness practices we do a meditation on the breath but like if we're first starting with students we may just get them to lay down in the corpse pose, but in, in the school system, we don't like to say the corpse. So we say star pose <laughs> okay. and just get kids to kind of sit still and just breathe. Yeah. But it really depends on the demographics, whether they're sitting in chairs, okay. whether they're laying down on the mat, sitting down, crisscross applesauce with the easy pose. <laughs> but I, I know one thing Ali always says, our teacher always uh, gave us a lot of tools because you can't really approach the same people with the same cookie cutter class yeah so okay. we try to have you know like i said meditation on the breath we have like a next thought meditation mm -hmm. uh, which is an awesome practice to kind of like slow your mind down to get you ready for an actual deeper meditation practice yeah we have a, a plethora of meditations okay. in our tool belt is there any moments where someone from a school wants you to bring your program there and because you know how the school is, say they're like more athletic, so you're going to insert this sort of meditation, or they're more academic, you insert this meditation. Is there any moments when you're inserting programs that you cater to the school, what they're about? I'd say all the time, honestly. Yeah. We don't go into schools with cookie cutter programs. Mm -hmm. Like even our instructors go in with the toolbox. We go in with the general idea of how we want our classes structured, some type of uh, centering practice to get them in the room some movement, some breath work, maybe a discussion, and then end with a meditation. Uh, but that combination can go a lot of different ways depending upon even, like, the school, which kids you're working with in the school. Like, we could be working at a private school, and we're working with the the genius kids there. You know I mean, they got a yeah. certain different stress level than the kids who may be on the soccer team. You know what I mean? Or, like, we're at a public school, and it's the kids who have faced a lot of trauma versus the kids who are in the gifted and talented classes you know what i mean so okay. it's like different practices delivered in a little bit different way but yeah just speaking to what 
the struggles that they're going through. I think that's the key to the practices. You got to look and see what they're struggling with in their life externally and internally, mm-hmm. and to give them the practices that are going to help them ease okay. that tension. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think even just giving them things that they're interested in. I know um, one time Ali Cater guided meditation to a JV soccer team. And, you know, in the guided visualization, he made them experience being on a soccer field. And they had a game the next day, mm-hmm. and they saw the scoreboard. They saw themselves playing well, you know. Mm-hmm. So making sure that it's something they can relate to, I think that it engages the kids more and gets their buy-in more because they're excited yeah. like, hey, I'm about to play a game tomorrow and this is going to help me play a game? All right, I'll give it a try. You know, where some of them mm-hmm. might not have taken it as seriously mm-hmm. if it wasn't something that was part of their life and that it meant something to them that I think that they took that practice and really bought into it because of something that resonated with them. Yeah. And the coolest part about that story is the score that they saw on the scoreboard, uh, they scored that many goals the next hey, day. Yeah. The, look at the, that. the coach was blown away. He was like, <laughs> Can't believe it. You would never guess the score. He's like, please come back. (laughs) He's like, I think we're like, I love this mindfulness stuff, man. He's like, what's the score of the next game? (laughs) All right. We're Facebook friends, so (laughs) I'd check you out. And I noticed you guys have been traveling a lot. And I'm actually curious, have you noticed anything about spreading the word of mindfulness? Is Is mindfulness accepted differently in different locations? More like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, we'll try it out. Or like, eh, no, we don't want that. But eh, someone said we have to do it, so we're going to try it out. Like, how is it seen in different cultures and different places that you go? I mean, I think that it can be received in a wide variety of fashions. I think that something that we do well as an organization is we make it very simple and practical. So no mm-hmm. matter where we're going, people usually relate to it. You know, we start with the breath. And reminding people how to breathe the correct way and then it's a tool that you have access to that's always with you and yeah. i think no matter who you are or where you're from when you start looking into that type of technique where you're like oh i had this all the time and i can just slow my body down and they feel it and they experience it i think it usually resonates with them so mm-hmm. i think with our experience and that we've been doing this for such a long time we're kind of prepared no matter what situation we go into like ali said it's never cookie cutter you know we mm-hmm. read the audience we make sure we're providing techniques that are relatable to their lives and practical mm-hmm. to their lives at that moment i mean this is my opinion i just think that people are ready for this you know there's a lot going yeah. on outside in the world and so you have that external stimuli you have your internal stripe that you're going through mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't know how to manage it and yeah. when they can find it I don't need to go to an outside source to relieve what I'm going through that I can mm-hmm. do it myself, you know, and, and just be present. Yeah. I think it's very powerful and people are hungry for it. Yeah. And I also think that one thing that our teacher always stressed to us is not only to have a big tool belt, but be able to speak to people in their own language. I like these practices are thousands of years old. We know they work not only because of what they said in the book and, you know, all that stuff, yeah, yeah. but through personal practice. Yeah. So it's really about packaging it the right way. Like a lot of people have the misconception that these practices are associated with a religion. So in certain mm. places, we won't call it yoga or mindfulness. We'll just call it stress reduction. Thanks to that extent. And as long as you know what words that could trigger people, you just stay yeah. away from. I know when Mark Greenberg, our big brother, one of our mentors from Penn State University, We had to put together a yoga curriculum. It was like 24-week physical education yoga curriculum. And he read it. He said it was beautiful. It had a lot of information, insight. You know, we were able to talk about the chakras and mudras and, you know, a lot of different things. And he was like, all right, uh, it's a really insightful curriculum. But now, uh, you know, it's a yoga curriculum. Now take all the yoga out of it. We were like, what? 
So he really made us go mm. through and take any controversial, like the mudras and mantras, we okay. took it out. We took out any Sanskrit words. And we mm. just understand that, you know, the practice is so powerful and it's such a great tool that you don't want to turn anyone off from it just because of your verbiage. Yeah. So now we just are very, very mindful, whatever demographic we go into, to package it in the proper way. What is it that scares people with the Sanskrit words or using the word yoga are they just not used to that or like what have you noticed when people are hesitant seems like anything different can be seen as scary like okay. if you're not open you know what i mean like seeing a person that doesn't look like you or going to a new place or hearing words that you're not used to i think it just scares some people and they're just kind of closed off to new experiences and and, and new people like I was saying, if it's anywhere closely associated to anything religious, I think that scares people even more. I mean, people are religious, people are spiritual, and they believe in what they believe, and they don't want anything that's going to kind of contradict their connection with God or the Creator or mm-hmm. the Spirit or whatever they okay. call it. But I think mean, it's just all those things combined kind of scare people away from the practice when it's talked about in certain terms. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I was like scrolling through your website before I came down here and I noticed you have multiple programs and I'm curious, can you let us know what programs you have and what each one does? Because I know you have like a mentor program, you have like an in-school meditation thing and then you also sound like you have these like digital downloads for teachers to access for the class so you don't necessarily have to be on site. Can you just let us know which ones you have? Okay, as far as uh, <laughs> programs, we have our Holistic Me After School program okay. where five days a week after school, we pick the kids up. It's like 166 kids in that program. Uh, we have group leaders. There's an academic hour that doesn't have anything to do with their homework. Then we have an hour of mindfulness and yoga, snack, and then an enrichment activity. The enrichment activities can be anywhere from robotics, urban gardening, steel drumming, martial arts, uh, just a a lot of different things that the kids weren't getting in school that we noticed that, you know, Ali and I went to friend school, independent school, where the enrichment activities flowed like a waterfall, you know what I mean? And it kind of made you kind of look at the world in a bigger scope that it's more than just your block out there. And we Mm -hmm. noticed that a lot of our friends in our neighborhood didn't have those enrichment activities, so their scope was a little smaller. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make sure that you know we bought these enrichment activities to kind of increase their scope and you know that's the main concept with that program we also have our mentoring program holistic roots where kids that graduate out of robert w coleman from our holistic me program uh, when they're middle school and high school we provide tutoring other enrichment activities field trips martial arts wellness training, personal training, and just honestly just trying to keep that bond going with these kids because, you know, in Baltimore, a lot of kids don't really have that support system that will make them strive at a high level. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing that Ali and Andy and I noticed is that these kids can still thrive at a high level as long as they have somebody that holds them accountable. And I guess that's what the mentoring program aims to do is to give these kids another support system and somebody that will hold them accountable and you know a lot of different things in life whether it's school personally you know whatever that's the mentoring program and then we have like the BAM program which is the teaching tool with the animation and the audio content that teachers have access to that's online that's being piloted in four schools 
oh, we, and then we have our mindful moment program where the principal gives us 15 minutes at the beginning of the day, 15 minutes at the end of the day to play a mindfulness practice over the loudspeaker where it starts off with a centering breath, then slight movement, then specific breathing practices, and then a, a meditation on the breath or a silent reflection on the breath. And then along with that 15-minute uh, practice, we also created the Mindful Moment Room, which is an alternative to suspension room, where uh, kids are in crisis. They can come down. They can either self-refer or the teacher can refer them to come down to our, our room where our staff greets them. You know, it's protocol where the kids come in, sit down and do breathing until our staff can help the student. Then our staff, we're not counselors. So, you know, we don't really counsel the students when they come in there. So we do the uh, practice of mirroring just to kind of like empower the students and active listening as well. And then after we do that, we'll sit the kids down, do some breathing practices, do a meditation, give them some tea and send them back to class. They have like a 15 minute time limit to be in there. And then, you know, at Robert W. Coleman, uh, you know, it's been getting a lot of buzz on social media for that program uh, for having uh, zero suspensions in the past four years. And it's, honestly, that program is being modeled all over the nation and all over the world at this point. You know, I'm humbled that, you know, the program is going so well in Baltimore and going so well around the world. And then we also have yoga and mindfulness classes in a variety of different ways in a lot of different schools in Baltimore City and the surrounding counties. That's why I had to ask, because there's just so many of them. It's not just like one program that you have and you just bring that program to every school. You have multiple programs after school, in school, not school. Thank you for sharing all that. Mm -hmm. Next question is, what is the importance of learning mindfulness practice at a young age compared to an older age? Like, is there more of a quality that sets in being addressing these practices at an early age or... Is it just fine if you start learning it at 15, at 24, you know, 30? Does it matter compared to if you started in second grade when you're like 10 or something or eight? Ideally, you learn them as early as possible. I feel like the earlier you can get these skills and tools, the better your life will be for a lot of different reasons. I mean, just dealing with stress as you get older, stress becomes a lot more prominent in your life. It, life doesn't get easier as you get older. It gets harder and it gets more stressful. So if you can learn these skills early, you can deal with stress throughout your entire lifetime. I mean, but whenever you can get them, you get them. Like if you get them at 90, you know what I mean? At least you're, you know what I mean? What, you're learning them at some point, but yeah. ideally you get them as early as possible. I think the only, the biggest difference is that the younger you can catch a kid to teach them, the more open they are. Like the older they get, the more you have to kind of sell the practice. But if you walk into a room full of kindergartners, like you can teach them anything. If you make it fun, they're cheering, they're learning, like they're open to it. Yeah. But as they get older, they become a little more closed and a little more guarded and a little mm -hmm. more jaded about things, and and it takes a little more coercion, a little more um, just a little more effort to get them engaged and a little more selling of the practice and why it's good for them. So, but whenever, ideally as early as possible. Okay. Do you ever have anything where you have kids and parents come practice together? I know for a long time we uh, tried to invite the parents out to do like parent night yoga with their kids and stuff like that, but that never turned out. Our numbers were always low, even though we provided like a great spread of food, refreshments and stuff like that. I think one thing that we learned this year or last year was to pair up parent yoga night with a showcase. So like, we, you know, showcasing all the different things that our kids are learning in the after school program, whether it's a dance or a fashion show or steel drumming. 
And, you know, every parent loves to see their kids shine. So mm-hmm. we kind of paired that up with doing some yoga with our students as well. So, And then also, you know, we have that reciprocal teaching model where our students actually are teachers as well. So when they see their parents coming in the house uh, with stress written on their face, you know, they do sit their parents down and like teach them the practices that they know can help de-stress them and calm them down. It's been countless times where we've heard parents come up to us and say, you know, I had no idea, you know, what you all were doing with this yoga and mindfulness <laughs> stuff. But I came in the house and, you know, the stress was probably written on my face. And, uh, you know, my kids sat me down and said, Mama, teach you how to breathe. And, you know, they would be amazed at just the simple practice of learning how to take a deep breath. Like little young mentors over there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So it sounds like you guys have such a awesome little fun journey that the HLF is taking you on. And through that journey, you've met a lot of friends. You've met a lot of friends in the mindfulness world. You met a lot of friends around the world. I'm curious, has the information that these friends now have and have given you, how has that shaped your practice and or direction on where you're going with the mindfulness world? You know, like when you're meeting someone who's a neuroscientist and he's dropping knowledge bombs on you of like how mindfulness biologically and chemically works, does that shift your practice? Not really. I mean, it may make our practice more informed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we'll know what's physiologically and neurologically going on inside of us. Yeah. But I don't think it shifts the way that we practice. I feel like even if we had no clue what was going on physically with us, from the we know how we feel from the practice. Yeah. We see how our interactions with ourselves and with others are from the practice. So I think that's what's going to keep us going. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it just makes the practice more informed. I don't think it changes what we're doing or how we're doing okay. it. It's just we have more knowledge of what's yeah. going on on all levels. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't change so much, but it's more of a you know what's happening and it's, like, really cool. Or you talk to other people who are just, like, really steeped in it and they're like, yeah, this practice is really good. And you're like, yeah, we know. But it almost reiterates how beneficial it is. Yeah, I mean, we were always big proponents of, like, the eyeball test. You know what I mean? Like, you look and then that's how you judge. So, like, when Mark Greenberg, I mentioned him earlier, came to us and was like, you guys need to do this study to prove that your programs work. And we're like, we don't need to do a study to prove that. Like, we can look at our students and see that the programs work. Like, if in September, they're kicking the crap out of each other. And then by, like, say, Christmas... Everybody's in here, everybody's meditating, they're breaking up fights, they're helping each other out. Like we see that there is a change. Yeah. And the only thing that's been added to their life is having their own personal practice. Like we know that it works. We see them becoming leaders in their neighborhood. We see them becoming more compassionate, empathetic, loving people. Yeah. We can see that happen. So it's like we get that we needed to start collecting data and, and measuring things mm-hmm. and some people that's not gonna work for them. So like if we walk into a room, some people are gonna want to hear research. Some people are going to want anatomy and physiology. Okay. Some people are going to want data. And mm-hmm. others, you can sit them down and lead them through a few belly breaths, and they're sold from that. They're like, I've never felt this calm my whole life. Like, yeah. I want more of this. So nice. different strokes for different folks. That's a great question. It's amazing to reflect. And if I think about it, I still, my personal practice is still the same practices that we were doing 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. I've learned all sorts of new things, but the ones that I still make sure that I do all the time is like, it's the same exact practices. Mm-hmm. I haven't changed them at all. They awesome. work. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. I think the coolest thing is, just to reiterate what Andy was saying, I, you know, I think all of us, all of our practices, uh, you know, when we get deep down into it, pretty much haven't changed through time. I think one thing that has changed is finding ways to kind of 
incorporate our practices into our lives and finding, you know, opportunities to be able to practice bhakti yoga or, you mm-hmm. know, like it's a fun journey uh, once you get into the mat practice. But then, you know, after you can kind of like incorporate these practices off the mat, that's where the true work starts. Yeah, it's with all the friends that you're meeting, they're confirming what you already know. It makes you understand it on a deeper level. You're like, okay, like, yeah, I get it. But you get to understand it in like a scientific level or emotional response reaction level. So that's really cool. Here's a fun question. What are you excited about? Like whether it be in your life or the programs or what's going on? Like is there anything funny you'd like to share? New Avengers movie is going to be coming out soon. All right. Uh-huh. When's that coming out? I don't know. What's the Y'all usually know the day. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was May. End of April this year. Yeah. If y'all haven't noticed, they're like super huge comic book fans. And I love how you use like the comic book characters as representations of mindfulness practice characters almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so That's the first thing that popped in my head, so I had, say, <laughs> I had to say it. I mean, I'm honestly really excited about this expansion program. It's something that we did a couple years ago uh, in Charlottesville that was very successful, but we saw some pitfalls on, you know, ways that we could have kind of made it more sustainable. You know, in these couple sites that we have uh, identified, uh, I'm really excited to launch this program and really sustain, you know, help a community help themselves, you know, create jobs for people that might not have jobs ordinarily, create community, create empathy, and just leave and have that be a self-sustained community and program thriving. That's yeah. one thing I'm excited about is the expansion. Yeah. Is there any sort of audio endeavors you're engaging in? Are you starting a podcast? <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, we are starting a podcast with this, this cool guy we met from uh, Boulder. He does podcasts <laughs> in Naropa. Uh, Wait a minute. We, we clicked with him like almost <laughs> instantly, so we were like, we need to do something else. So, uh, and he's also like a DJing ninja. So, yeah. <laughs> I know this guy. Yeah, he's a pretty cool cat, and uh, yeah. So we're launching a podcast with him. We've recorded uh, one episode so far. We got mm-hmm. a few more in the works, and we're gonna crank it out and get it out there to everybody. Yeah. So just so everyone knows, the four people that are speaking on this microphone at this moment are the ones starting the podcast, and. Like he said, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you guys and your reach and your platform and the information and your practices have allowed you to come to a place to where you want to speak out. You want to talk about these things that are arising and it's just another way of getting the information out and I'm just happy to be a part of this audio engagement and I'm excited for what is going to become and I'm just really excited that we got to like have round two. This is the first time of my podcast at Naropa that I've been able to do this and it feels like a really big treat. You guys like taking me in, you've shown me around Baltimore, we've hung out, we've had all the talks and we've had all the good times and it's just such a pleasure to round it off and just start like something new with you. And I just really appreciate y'all being on my podcast and just developing a friendship and I feel like a brotherhood is happening and it just feels really tight and I just like got mad love for you all. So thank you so much. Definitely, man. You're thank definitely you, on our, our zombie apocalypse team. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about that, yeah. <laughs> love you so much, man. Thank you so much for having us on. All right. Take care. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.